It's a real privilege being able to share with you uh, on something that I think is really dear to my heart. Uh, being missional, but specifically the God who calls us was the topic that I was given today. And going to specifically focus on God's heart for the lost that I think is um, a driving force behind why we do what we do. And I um, was thinking about it just again when we did Holy Communion. What an incredible privilege, you know, it is. Uh, to be in relationship with God. But, you know, God reaching out into humanity in the way that he did, uh, the ultimate act of selflessness, the ultimate act of love, uh, it just touches me every time. Uh, and so hopefully today as we share, as we talk, uh, there'll be a bit of a glimpse of God's heart that will be imparted in us. I just wanna pray first and then we'll get into the message. Lord Jesus, thank you so much uh, for you reaching out into humanity for you reaching out into our hearts, for you uh, coming towards us. Lord, you loved us first. And out of response, we love you. And Lord, I just pray that you today would come and anoint this time and that we would really be able to hear what it is that you have to say in Jesus' name. And so, a missional God. I was thinking about the word missional. You know, in Christianity, um, missional living is basically living in such a way that we're actively, right, engaging others uh, with the gospel. Um, whether it be in a missionary context or whether it be in our job context, but there's this aspect that there is engaging people uh, with the love of God in whatever way that is possible. And you know, today with the God who calls us, uh, what I'm sharing on today, um, I'm focusing on the God part. You know, the God who calls us. Next week, I think it's gonna be more on us and maybe what our response is to be. Um, but to call him a missional God, there must be some evidence in scripture that I think is all through scripture uh, where God very clearly engages, I think, the lost with the good news. Um, he reaches out to nations, uh, specifically people groups. I was thinking again in, in worship, uh, there's about 17,000 people groups. You know, when God says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations, the word nations broken down really is ethnos. Yeah, well, this people group, uh, there's 17,000 people groups in the, in the world today. Uh, people with a distinct language, uh, with a distinct culture. And out of those 17,000 people groups, there are about 7,400 that are unreached. People that have no ability within their own people group to be able to spread the gospel. There's just not people that believe, there's no resources. And that represents about 3.2 billion people that actually have no access to the gospel. Now we live in a nation that is reached uh, where we have access and of course not everybody uh, would be personally reached. Yeah, there's lots of people that don't know Jesus that have no relationship with him. And so, you know, when you look at, uh, at Jesus, he was asked, I think, um, you know, whether, uh, when does the end come? Uh, it was in Matthew 24, when does the end come? And Jesus says, well, that's not actually up to me. But then he gives this idea of the condition under which Jesus is gonna come back uh, when the end is gonna come. And that is when, uh, when all nations have heard when all nations have heard this testimony, when this testimony has been preached to all nations. And so when is the end gonna come? Uh, 
it's going to be surrounded, I think, or revolving around this idea of nations being reached, people having heard uh, the good news, having had opportunity uh, to respond, having had opportunity to be discipled. And so the core, I think, of what we want to talk about today is, you know, that God is actually actively reaching out and doing this, and this is his heart. Uh, he loves us, and I think we're very blessed to be here today. We're in church. Um, we can worship him, uh, but so many are not yet. So many people are not yet in this position where they can actually respond or do it in a free way like we can. And so I think being missional is at the very heart of who God is. Now, I want to first look at the very reason why God created us. And, you know, we go all the way to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, and it says that we have been created in the image of God. Which I think uh, gives us a great ability to relate. I think as many of us know that God is spirit. That's how he is described in the Bible. God is spirit. And we have been created in the image of God. Meaning too that we have a spirit. And the way that I intimately relate with God is spirit to spirit. Right? This is how we have communion with God. This is where we get revelation. It's in our spirit. And I think the very reason why we have been created is for this loving relationship. Now, I used to think about this often um, in my younger years. Uh, I'm still not old, but the younger years. I don't know, that's not really a word for today. We've made it a word. Um, you know, where there's this aspect, you know, I've been created for a relationship, uh, but I... You know, not really engaging. I actually had a season of my life where I, I walked away from the Lord. But, you know, when I came to the Lord and realizing that God wanted relationship with me, and I first was very busy in giving my life to Jesus. I need to do this and I need to do that. And actually realized, now for the reason, or the reason that I was created was to have relationship with God. And I used to think, you know, that I was created to worship God and to serve God and to do all of these things for God. But really, the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, it actually says that God first loved us. Yeah, God first loved us. And I think when I look at the calling that we have upon our lives, you know, we have a primary call, and that would be the call to be in relationship with God. This call comes before anything else. Our primary call, our first call is to be one with Him, is to be. It's not to do, it's to be loved by him. On top of that, then we get our secondary call and we're gonna look at this more next week and I think Pastor Benny is sharing next week. But that would be the call to do. But it is really founded on this call to be in relationship and to be loved upon. The very purpose of my creation and your creation. And so God created us for loving relationship. And so then the question, that comes is, how did God feel when mankind actually sinned? How did he feel? Not just what did he do, but how did he feel? Because we're talking about God's heart for the lost. And it really, for me, includes this idea of God feeling something. There's a, there's a motivation in his heart towards people that do not know him. And we all know the story in Genesis chapter three, we have Adam and Eve, they've been created, yeah, in the image of God, and they are told in Genesis chapter three, they cannot eat from this fruit of this particular tree. And 
as many of us have, actually the Bible says all of us have, we tend to go after the very thing that we're not supposed to have. And so Adam and Eve eat from this tree, uh, from this fruit, and then what happens, they feel shame and they hide. And God comes into the garden uh, as he has many occasions because he's a God of relationship. And Adam and Eve hear God walk in the garden. That's what it says, right? Verse eight onwards, they hear him walk in the garden and they were ashamed. And God says this, where are you? Now my previous idea of who God was would have sounded like this. What have you done? That would have been my worldview and my picture of God when Adam and Eve did what was wrong. What have you done? But what does God say? Where are you? He was missing something. Because they used to walk in the cool of the day. Relationship close together and it was not there. Because of sin they had hidden themselves. And God wants them to come out. Where are you? Not what have you done, where are you? And Adam goes like this, you know, puts up his hand, holding his leaves, putting up his hand. And he's like, you know, we heard you and we realized that we were naked. And God is like, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the fruit? And then of course we get this game. Everybody start pointing at one another. Adam points at Eve, Eve points at the snake. And there's this blame shift that's going on, but it's not helping them to actually be back in relationship with God and they get ultimately put out of the garden. What is a really sad moment. They are cut off from the life of God. They're cut off from the very essence that gives them life. Spirit to spirit, disconnected. And it's a little bit like this. If this is God's spirit that is alive and this is my spirit that can be alive when it is connected to God's spirit, when that gets connect, disconnected, my spirit dies. And that's what happened in the garden. Man's spirit died. And of course, through the cross, you know, there's an ability again to be born again and our spirits to become alive. And so we go a little bit further. We go to Genesis chapter six, probably one of the saddest scriptures in the Bible, in my view. And... Uh, it's just before God, of course, speaks to Noah and gives him his mission to build the ark. And it talks about the corruption of mankind. And we get to verse five and six. And then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. And we wonder, okay, well, how great is that? And it gets described. And that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And so here we have a description of the state of mankind, that every thought, every inclination of his heart was only evil all the time. In other words, there was nothing that was good. It was completely corrupted. And then it goes into the response that God feels. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. Other translations would say relented, repented, but he was sorry. And then it says this, and he was grieved in his heart. Other translations say, and his heart was filled with pain. He was grieved in his heart. His heart was filled with pain. 
And I don't know what that looks like. But it is this, this, this idea that God created mankind for close relationship. He had put everything in place for that close relationship to work. And we're now in a stage where mankind is completely corrupted. And God's response is, oh, this love that he pours out on mankind is completely unanswered. It's an unanswered love story where the love of God reaches out, but it falls on the floor. It's not received. And God's heart is filled with pain, grief, a definition of grief. The definition of grief is that there's this aspect, you know, that it is proportioned, yeah, by, by, by loss. And so we have this idea that we have emotional pain in grief. There's emotional pain. And I think all of us, if not most of us, right, uh, have experienced grief. But it's emotional pain that is proportioned by intimacy and loss. And so when you have a certain level of intimacy and you lose that intimacy, there will be a certain level of grief. And when that intimacy grows, then that pain, that grief grows, right? It gets larger. And so here is God and he looks at mankind. And we don't know how many people were on earth. You know, this is about 2,000 years in and people had lots of kids. Uh, the, there's lots of people on the earth. And God feels grief because of the lack of relationship. Because he longs for grow, close relationship. And so his heart is one of love, carries grief related to people that are not in relationship with him. You know, you look at Matthew 23, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem. And everybody is excited because the king is coming. Little do they know, right, that he's coming to be crucified. But in Matthew 23, verse 37... Another glimpse of the heart of God. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together. The way a hen gathers her chicks. What a picture, hey? How I long to gather you. How I long to bring you close. But then this statement, and you were unwilling. But he longs. There's this longing in the heart of God for people that are not with him. There's this longing in the heart of God for people that do not know him. I longed together, you, close to me. And so this response in God's heart when mankind sinned wasn't one of anger. It wasn't one of dismay. He didn't throw the towel. He could have. But this deep longing... And so he sets a plan into motion. He was going to make it right. And this is, man, this is, this is amazing. This is why we do Holy Communion today. He sets a plan into motion. His own arm was going to bring salvation. It's like he could no longer live with this idea of being without people. The Godhead created out of love all of us and longs to be with us. And so in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when we go back there, there's an interesting scripture. Genesis 3, 15. You know, God has spoken to Adam and Eve after the fall, and then he speaks to the serpent. It starts in verse 14, but 15 is the main one. And then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle 
and more than every beast of the field, and on your belly you will go, and dust you will eat, and all the, da all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, or strife, between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. This is really the first mention of what God is gonna do. There's gonna be offspring that is gonna deal with the serpent. It's gonna deal, yeah, with the powers of darkness, so to speak. And that's, of course, we know Jesus himself is gonna come. And so the work of redemption is put in motion. And why did God do that again? Because of his heart of love. He did not want to continue, I suppose, without us. And so he put something in motion that includes us, or that at least gives us the ability. And then you look through the Old Testament, you look at Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, who gets called to be a blessing. I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. And in you, all ethnos, all nations will be blessed. And that is repeated in Genesis 15, Genesis 17, Genesis 22. It's like, Abraham, I'm serious here. I really am going to do this. He talks about it with Isaac. He talks about it with Jacob. You know, what is, of course, becomes the people of Israel that are raised up with a specific task to bring the blessing to the nations. And then it is also to us all as believers. When we look at the Great Commission, Matthew 28, we heard it before. Yeah, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, ethnos. Make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them. Yeah, it is in Mark 16. It is in Luke 24. It is in John 21. And it is in Acts chapter 1. The Great Commission, five times in the New Testament, where God is out to reach people. He's out to reach nations and he's asking us to be a part of that. But it is all motivated by God's great love for the lost. He's not just doing it for the sake of doing it. It's because he longs to be with people. And as I was praying, I was thinking about Luke 15. And I think we all know that the prodigal son, the lost son, uh, it's also the prodigal father. Prodigal is ex extravagant, right? And so you first have verses one to seven that talks about the lost coin. Or the lost sheep is the first one. And I think we all know that story very well. Uh, seen it many times, heard it many times. But at the end, in verse 7, it says, when the sheep is found, there is what? Great joy in heaven. Great joy in heaven. When one sinner repents. When one person who was lost is now found. And then it goes to the lost coin with this lady that has these coins and she's lost one and she searches everywhere, finds it. And then it says, in the same way, you know, they throw a party in the same way. There is joy in heaven when one sinner repents. And then it goes into the prodigal son. He's got everything that he needs. But he basically says to his dad, well, you're as good as dead to me. Give me half my inheritance. Give me my share. That's really what it is. Because when do you get your inheritance? When, you know, people die. He says, give it to me now. And he's off. He's off and he squanders it all. It's a little bit like my journey. I just didn't get my inheritance. I just left. And, uh, you know, I walked away from God. I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, was taught the ways of God. And through different circumstances and different areas of pain, 
that I experienced as a young kid growing up into my teens, I just hardened my heart towards God and I walked away. And uh, I was a bit like this. Parties, friends in all the wrong places, yeah, trying to fill the void. And in the end of the day, right, at the end of the day, run out of money, don't know where to go. It's funny how we go back, right? even though it wasn't always that good. But in this picture specifically, you know, it's the picture of the father who's waiting. The father who's looking over the hills every day. Is my son coming home? Is my son coming home? Is my son coming home? When is he coming home? I'm waiting for my son. And he can't stop, I suppose, until this is the case, right? Until the son comes back. And finally, the son comes to his senses and he's like, well, you know what? I should go home. You know, my servants in my father's house have it better than me. I'm gonna go home. And if that's what I become, you know, that's okay. And he starts wandering back and it's probably a bit like this. And see that picture? That's what I was like. Yeah, when we carry our shame and our guilt. Yeah, it's often so much seen in the way that we carry ourselves. And here is God, he's waiting. And a picture that I had in my mind while praying for today, it's like God is at every corner. It's like, well, he's everywhere, right? And so here we are, we come to a certain corner and God is like, I'm here. Why don't you come? And we're sort of like this, walk around the corner, come to the next corner, and there he is again. And it's opportunity after opportunity. And I look at my own journey when I was not with God, all the opportunities that I had to come back into relationship with God. And I thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'm okay. I'm doing fine. I don't need this. Until I hit this spot that I couldn't go any further. I was stuck. I struggled with depression, struggled with being suicidal. I just couldn't go on. I was stuck. And the only place that I knew where to go was go back to God, even though I had no idea what it was like to some extent. And I prayed this prayer. So God, if you are real, that was my prayer. It doesn't sound much like a salvation prayer, is it? God, if you are real, please reveal yourself to me. And that's all that God needs, isn't it? <laughs> it's like this little glimpse of a lost person's heart. And he comes in because that's what he longs for. He longs for relationship. You know, you come at the end of that, the first part of, of the lost son, before you get to the, to the brother. You know, this son of mine, verse 24, was dead and he has begun to live. He was lost and has been found. Let's celebrate, right? Let's party. There's joy in heaven. See, joy is, a, is an emotion. There's joy in the heart of God when people come back to him, just as there is grief when there is not. So he waits, he's patient, wishing ultimately that none should perish. So it's part of my story. I remember a while ago, this is quite a number of years ago, I was in a prayer time. And uh, just in this prayer time, it sort of kept going and people were responding to God, making things right with God. It was actually a really deep time where God ministered to people and really didn't have to do much, but just sort of let it flow. And there was one particular person in that particular group who was not responding, but didn't want to leave. And so they sat there. And then I felt God whispered to me, uh, said, Ari, you're not leaving. <laughs> you're not leaving until this person responds. And I was like, well, I can't make this person. But what I can do, I can stay, right? I, I can stay there. And so I stayed. Turns out this person, incredible, painful background, basically hated God, had a picture of God 
but was very much like what I mentioned in the beginning. What have you done? Why are you like this? Instead of the one that longs together. And I, I asked God, so God, well, why do you want me to stay? What are we waiting for? And God spoke to me. He said, well, Ari, you have no idea when this person leaves this particular prayer time and this particular place, you have no idea what's gonna happen. This could be the last day of her life. You would have no idea. And I felt so challenged by God. So challenged. I said, okay, my time, your time. I'm not going anywhere. If the idea is that I am to wait because this person is gonna respond, then I'm gonna wait. And so we did. <laughs> and some people left, others stayed. This person stayed, I stayed. And probably waited, like I would say, for a good three, four hours. People still a bit responding, praying, talking. And finally, all of a sudden, this girl's like, I wanna say something. And so she shares, shares the pain. And we're able to talk about the character of God and talk about what God is actually like towards her, right? And she responded and she gave her heart to Jesus. And I was like, oh. And I just had this new, and this is only a couple of hours. <laughs> it's like, this is not a long time that I had to wait, right? And I look at God and it says in the Bible, right, that he's patient. First Peter chapter three, verse nine. First Peter chapter three, verse nine. The Lord is not slow about keeping his promise as some count slowness. So he's waiting, he's waiting, he's waiting. But he's patient towards you, not wishing any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And I ask myself, well, how many people is that? If this is the heart of God being communicated here, how many people is that? He doesn't wish for any to perish, but for all to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then it makes sense. As a father, you would want your children, all of them, to respond. You know, patience. I think about Jonah. You know, Jonah gets sent by God to Nineveh in the year approximately 760 BC. This is after centuries of wickedness. Nineveh was a bad city. Yeah, they did bad things. And Jonah didn't like Nineveh. We know this story, we've all heard it many a time. And so instead of going, he goes the other way. He says, nope, thank you very much. I know these people, they're bad people. They've done bad things to my people. And so I'm not going. And actually, you see this later in the chapter, but actually God, I know what you're like. <laughs> I know exactly what you're like. You're gonna send me to the people that I don't like, that, hate, that I hate, that have done pain to me. You're gonna tell me to preach and then they're all gonna respond. And then they're not gonna die, and I want them to die. That's really the story, isn't it? He wants them to die. He wants them to be burned, like Sodom and Gomorrah. He wants them to be dealt with. And so God says, go. And so he goes the other way, God redirects, we know the story, spits him out through a fish on land, he starts walking, smelling like fish, going into this city, and he starts preaching the gospel. And I wonder sometimes, or it starts telling people to repent. And I wonder sometimes how wholehearted he was. Remember, he wanted them to die. 
And he actually still wants them to die because he preaches and he goes and sits on this hill waiting for what? Judgment. He wants them to die. And so he waits and nothing happens because what's happening? People are repenting. People are turning from their sin. And what does God do? It says he relented. He actually did not bring the destruction that he said he would bring because of how the people responded. And here is Jonah. I knew it. That's why I didn't want to go. Because I wanted these people to die. And see, here we go. I told you. It's like he's moping, sitting on this hill in the sun. And God provides a little shrub, gets him some shade. He feels all good about himself. Then the shrub dies. And he gets angry at God. What's going on here? Man, he's so self-consumed. And here is God, lesson learned, right? So man, Jonah, you're all worried about this little shrub that you didn't grow. <laughs> you didn't do anything. Shall I not have what? Compassion on all of these people that don't know what? Their left hand from their right hand. Basically saying they're lost. And these people, unless you're going to preach, unless you're going to share my love, unless they're going to repent, are going to die into eternity without me. And I don't want that. You might want that, Jonah, but I don't want that because that's not what I'm like. That's not who I am. I'm a God of compassion. I'm a God of love. And I reach out and I reach out and I reach out and I keep on going and I keep on going. Next corner, next corner. I give people every opportunity to respond because I cannot bear being with people, being without people as it relates to eternity. I cannot bear. And so Jonah's story. And the scripture upon scripture, Ezekiel 18 verses 23 and 32, they say exactly the same thing. Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord, rather that they should turn from his ways and live? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. He's a God who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He's a God that loves people. And he did everything possible. And that's what we remembered just at the beginning of the service. John 3.16. For God so loved the world. He so loved the world. That he gave what is a real sign of love, isn't it? Love by nature gives. It doesn't take, it gives. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whomsoever believes in him shall not perish. Because God doesn't want anyone to perish. And verse 17 brings incredible contrast. He did not come to judge the world. But he came to save it. And that's what he is like. They were saved through him. But see, it's the relentless 
pursuit, the relentless pursuit, God going after us. He looks at the fields and they're white, but they look like sheep without a shepherd. But he loves and he goes after and he pursues and he longs for. That's the God that we serve. We're talking about a missional God. God being missional. There is this active pursuit and this active engagement yeah, of reaching people that do not know him. That's what he does from the beginning to the end of the Bible. And he does much more. Don't misunderstand me. But when is the end going to come? When all nations... When all nations, all ethnos, and according to statistics, minimally 3.27 billion people that have no opportunity to hear. You know, we hear about missionaries before, yeah, people that go. And it's not all about just going across the globe. Yeah, we can be missional right where we are, yeah, right where God has placed us. And I think the important part is that before we go, right, we understand and we have a glimpse of God's heart. I think the worship team is gonna be coming up. And I just had a very simple response. I think that this understanding of who God is and his heart towards the lost is foundational for us. And it becomes the very foundation, I think, of everything that we do. You know, we, we, we grapple with that aspect, but we, we find an understanding of his heart and it translates in how we then live our lives. And uh, I think the simple response would be today, you know, if we realize, man, I love God, God is great, and I'm not begging any of that. I'm not saying any negative. It's fantastic, that's why we're here, but man, a heart for the lost, never really seen God that way. The active pursuit of God, never really seen it like that. Or maybe it's something that you would wanna capture afresh. Never really grieved like God grieves. Sometimes I look at television, you know, you look at the pictures that we saw from Manila and you see all this poverty. And sometimes you see, see so much of it and our hearts can sometimes be a bit like, there it is again. Yeah, and, but I wonder sometimes, how does God see that? What is his heart? Poor people on the street, those that are lost, people in the nations that have no opportunity. His heart is filled with pain. He's a God that grieves over the lostness of mankind. And I think he wants us to capture a part of his heart. And I think the simple response would be, if you wanna capture afresh the heart of God, if you recognize man, can be a bit colored sometimes. It's maybe not quite like that. Yes, I, I want more understanding of God's heart. I just wondered if you could stand with me. If that's something you want, if that's something you're recognizing, you may be lacking to some extent. And I just want to pray, and then we're just going to have the worship team 
lead us. Lord Jesus, we, we love you and we thank you for what you've done for us on that cross. How you actively reached into the world with the ultimate sacrifice. And Lord Jesus, we thank you. And today, God, we want to come before you and we ask you, would you give us greater revelation of your heart? Would you give us greater revelation how the lostness of people that don't know you grieves you? And that this is what you do. You reach out. You reach in. You're at every corner. And Lord, would you increase our capacity to carry your heart? Would you increase our capacity to understand your heart? Not in its fullness, Lord, we would not be able to cope with that. But give us a new, fresh glimpse. Spirit to spirit, give us new revelation. Lord, I just pray that over all of us here today. Increase in us, we pray.